Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Strangers in Jerusalem podcast and YouTube channel where we explore the Gospels and the Jesus traditions within their Jewish context. In this video, we're going to continue with a discussion on what are the Gospels. In the last video, we looked at when they were written, most likely the generation in which they were written, and some of the major goals of the Gospels. And in this short video, we are going to look a little bit more at this issue so that we understand what these texts are, get a better feel for what they are, before we launch into other videos where we deal with specifics about the, about the ministry of Jesus, the birth, baptism, those sorts of things. So it's important that we explore a little bit more this issue before doing that. So follow me, let's go to Jerusalem. One of the questions that I address in the last chapter of my recent book is this. Well, well, actually, before I read the question, let me tell you that throughout throughout the book and throughout the semester, there's a lot of parallels that I show my students between Jesus and the Hebrew Bible. The Gospel writers seem to have the Hebrew Bible open as they're writing about the ministry of Jesus, and they're pulling in quotes and stories. They're alluding to the Hebrew Bible. They're doing. They're shaping the Jesus story in relation to the Hebrew Bible, specifically for their audience and for their stated objective to show that Jesus is the Messiah. So after doing this dozens upon dozens, uh, even maybe hundreds of times, at least in the book, in the last chapter, I anticipate people asking this question. How do we interpret those cases where it seems that the authors of the Gospels were forcing the Hebrew Bible onto Jesus' story? In other words, are all these Jesus Hebrew Bible parallels in the Gospels historically reliable, or did the authors of the Gospels take liberties with some of the Jesus traditions? Okay, so that's the question. It's a very uh, valid question, one that my students have asked many times. There's some terminology that uh, I like to use that, are, that other scholars have thrown out there and have coined these uh, terms. These terms are prophecy historicized, this is prophecy and scripture turned into a narrative, or are these texts history scripturalized? So let me explain these. Prophecy historicized comes from a scholar named John Dominic Crossan, a very well-known New Testament scholar, and also a Catholic priest. What Dr. Crossan suggested is that, or proposed, is that the Gospels are prophecy historicized, or he also said this is historicized drama. Basically, what this is, is that the authors of the Gospels turned fictitious drama into history. They took a collection of prophecies and types, types and shadows, prophecies, from the Hebrew Scriptures and created a story around those prophecies and types. So the Gospel writers took prophecies of the Hebrew Bible and they took them and then built a, a history, something that didn't really happen. They created the history. In his view, the Jesus traditions are not arrows that really did hit all the prophetic bullseyes, but rather they are the bullseyes that were painted around the already shot prophetic arrows. In other words, if, for example, in Genesis or in Jeremiah or Zechariah, those authors shot a prophetic arrow, okay, they made a prophetic claim, and the arrow hits the wall, and then, they, then there's some other places in the Hebrew Bible where, they, where, where prophecies are given, and those are arrows that hit the wall. John Dominic Crossan is basically saying that the gospel writers took a marker 
and drew a bullseye around the arrows. And then they stepped back, they, they stepped back and said, look, these prophecies are bullseyes. That's, that's what his argument is. Okay, on the other side of the spectrum, so that's one side of the spectrum. On the other side of the spectrum is the view that God orchestrated everything in sort of his divine plan. Nothing is a coincidence. Certain actions and sayings of Old Testament prophets were predetermined by God precisely to prefigure Jesus. Everybody is kind of on a stage. We're all just sort of puppets, God's puppets, and he's just stringing us along and he's forcing Moses to say something or do something, or he's forcing David to say or do something, King David, because God knows that in a thousand years, Jesus will come along and say the same thing or he'll act in a certain way, and God absolutely needs Jesus to act in a way that King David did, to point him back to David, to make that connection. Okay, so in other words, the Bible is 100% historically accurate and theologically pure, and it's predetermined by God. All of Jesus' deeds and sayings are literal fulfillments of prophecies. They are indeed the arrows that hit perfectly every single prophetic bullseye, or however we're using that analogy. That's the other side of the spectrum. So John Dominic Crossan over here, and then a very fundamentalistic evangelical Christianity on the other side. Okay, so I'll put up on the screen here. here this is John Dominic Crossan on the left and Mark Goodacre on the right. Mark Goodacre is a professor at Duke University, a New Testament professor. Dr. Goodacre comes along and says, wait a minute, John Dominic Crossan, I don't believe is accurate. The term we should be using is not prophecy historicized. The term we should be using is history scripturalized. So Dr. Goodacre replaces this and explains that the, the Jesus traditions really are historical. There's a large historical core to the texts, to, or to the story, sorry, and that the, the gospel authors, when they were writing about this, pulled in language from the Hebrew Bible to make the story more impactful. So yes, it's historical, historically reliable, but there are a little bit of minor liberties being taken to describe the story. So here, let me just give you examples so you can follow what's going on. So one example is Jesus's arrest in Gethsemane. So instead of just reporting that Jesus' disciples forsook him and fled and deserted him and fled, instead of the gospel writers coming along and saying, you know what, we know the tradition that the disciples fled. Instead of that, the, instead of just stating that, the author of Mark and Matthew invoked a passage from the book of Zechariah. Chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Strike the shepherd and the sheep may be scattered. So a proponent of prophecy historicized. Somebody like John Dominic Crossan might conclude that the conflict in Gethsemane between Jesus and the soldiers is mostly fiction. The only reason why the authors of Mark and Matthew claimed that soldiers drew a sword on Jesus just before his disciples fled, the only reason why they claimed that is because they wanted to invoke a passage from Zechariah 13. So it didn't really happen that way. It's just that they wanted it to happen that way, or they said it happened that way, in order to fulfill prophecy. Now, a proponent like Mark Goodacre, a proponent of history scripturalized, might conclude that soldiers really did draw a sword on Jesus and that his disciples really did forsake him and that the authors of Mark and Matthew saw an opportunity to maximize impact of the story by invoking scripture. They went, they went and looked for scripture that they could use to enhance the story. Here's another example. 
rather than just simply explaining that Jesus was naked at the crucifixion, that his clothes were that he was that he was clothes were taken, the gospels authors quote scripture. Quote, they divided his clothes among among themselves by casting lots. That's in Matthew 27, Luke 23, and John 19. They divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. These words are a direct quotation from Psalm 22, verse 18. Quote, they divided my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. So is this story prophecy historicized, sort of made up, or is it history scripturalized? Well, I, we, we wrestle with this with my students, and we kind of go through and say, well, this is possible. Obviously, Romans did this sort of thing. And if you were writing the gospel and you wanted to appeal to Jew, a Jewish audience, and pull, would you pull in Psalm 22, a very well-known psalm? Another example is rather than just reporting that Jesus cried out in agony, because that's actually probably the only detail that the apostles knew about. They, if you remember, they fled in Gethsemane and they didn't come back. Peter tried to get close to Jesus when he was in with the Sanhedrin or with the high priest, but he was almost caught and so he had to deny Jesus. None of the Gospels say that the apostles are right there standing under the cross. In fact, the, the one clue we get, the one passage we get, is it says there were women there, but the women were far off. There is one place where Jesus talks to, he dresses John, uh, the apostle John, and he says, take care of, of my mother. Okay, so there is that. But most likely, all the apostles were gone and the women were far off. So it's not likely that they heard every word that Jesus said. But they could probably hear him crying out in agony. Okay, but instead of just stating that, the author of Luke adds that Jesus, quote, crying with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. The author of John writes that Jesus said, it is finished. These two authors did not scripturalize the tradition. But they, but they did put words into Jesus' mouth to fill out the story. That, that is, if they really couldn't hear him, then these words are obviously put into Jesus' mouth. So they didn't bother scripturalizing this passage by pulling in Hebrew scriptures. However, watch what Matthew and Mark do. Matthew and Mark do scripturalize the tradition by stating that Jesus claimed, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Notice that this passage is a direct quotation from Psalm 22, verse 1. Quote, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from the words of my groaning? This, this is an important topic to address because people, all my students, when I'm going through and talking about Jesus and the Gospels and comparing the different, uh, the, the, the different Gospels and bringing in Josephus and other ideas, my students who aren't accustomed to, to seeing the text through the eyes of a scholar or through the, through the, the lens uh, perspective of scholarship, the first thing they think about is, oh no, are these texts true? And is every detail uh, historically accurate? And what if it's all fabricated? And so I like to have this discussion early on in the semester with the broader discussion of what are the Gospels and what, what influenced the Gospels. That's all for this video. Check out, if you haven't seen it already, check out the previous video on what are the Gospels and when were they written. Also, a few subsequent videos in this series on what the, the major factors that influenced the texts. Also, check out my, my book, A Stranger in Jerusalem, Seeing Jesus as a Jew, and the podcast, The Strangers in Jerusalem podcast. That was totally wicked! <laughs>